11 minutes before 7 a.m. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Wednesday, November 25th, 2020. I'm Peter Apathy with Raven News. When the Sitka Assembly met last night, it voted down an emergency ordinance that would have limited restaurant capacity and prohibited large group gatherings in an effort to reduce the spread of the coronavirus in the community. The ordinance would have limited restaurant and bar capacity to 50% and required mask wearing and other coronavirus prevention protocols in those establishments. It would have also capped indoor gatherings at 50 people. And it said the city could take legal action if businesses or individuals refused to comply. But during public comment, Sitkins pushed back. Some said it was an overreach on civil liberties, while others said it would be ineffective. Karen Lucas said it was too divisive and was concerned about how the ordinance would be enforced. So I'm hoping it doesn't pass because I, too, am very interested in preserving our civil liberties, and I feel like this is just a little foot in the door for what could become further um, restrictions on our, um, our private lives as Americans. Lucas was one of 10 people who spoke out against the ordinance. Valerie Edwards was one of only two Sitkins who voiced support for it. She said by passing it, the assembly would send a unified message to the public and take pressure off of local businesses trying to enforce COVID-19 prevention protocols. You know, I, I know that we expect and hope that people can make responsible decisions, but I just don't see that happening uniformly in town. And I think having a strong position and strong leadership will help provide some clarity and take some people out of the hot spot of having to be the bad guy themselves if there's a stronger enforcement regimen beyond um, just each other's neighbors and employers. Some critics of the ordinance challenged its constitutionality. City Attorney Brian Hansen said from a legal standpoint, he believed the ordinance would stand up in a court of law. Assembly member Kevin Mosier, however, agreed with community members who said it was an overreach and said the recent rise in local coronavirus cases wasn't enough to warrant the actions spelled out in the ordinance. Just this is not the right thing at the right time. This is taking a sledgehammer to do something we should be doing a little tack hammer at. We need to calm down, be patient, and stay the course. Assembly member Crystal Duncans, who... Duncan, who co-sponsored the ordinance with Kevin Knox, recognized it was divisive, but said she hoped assembly support would empower business owners to enforce their own mask requirements. The timeline isn't perfect, but all of 2020 hasn't been perfect. So again, I just want to give the shout out to the restaurants who are already doing this and they're pushing back saying, you're not even doing enough. We're trying to find balance. Emergency ordinances need a supermajority vote in order to be approved. The ordinance failed 4-3 to three with members Valerie Nelson, Kevin Mosier, and Mayor Stephen Eisenbeis voting it down. We'll have more coverage of this ordinance and other assembly matters on Raven News tonight at 518. Public health officials announced two new COVID-19 cases in Sitka on Tuesday. The first person is in her 50s and was experiencing symptoms when she received testing on November 20th. Her case is considered secondary, meaning she was likely infected by someone known to have the virus. The second patient is between 10 and 19 years old. It's unclear how she was effect- infected or whether she had symptoms at the time of testing. 178 coronavirus-, coronavirus cases have been reported in Sitka since April. As of Tuesday at 5 p.m., 30 of those cases were considered active, according to city data.
A judge ruled the feds were within their rights to allow a southeast Alaska tribe to organize a hunt out of season because of the COVID-19 pandemic. As Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick reports, state attorneys have sued to block future hunts, arguing that Cake's special moose and deer harvest this summer was federal overreach. During the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic, a federally recognized tribe on Kupernoff Island was alarmed by the high price and low supply of fresh meat. The organized village of Cake petitioned the Federal Subsistence Board for a hunting party to harvest five deer and two moose out of season and distribute the meat within the community. It was greenlit in June. The state of Alaska filed suit alleging the feds had illegally preempted the state's rights to manage wildlife. Assistant Attorney General Cheryl Brooking says there are only narrow reasons for federal jurisdiction to trump state management. When Alaska became a state, one of the main drivers of statehood was to get control over fish and game management because the feds were making a mess of it. She argued in court filings that the food security issue was never proven and the federal government exceeded its authority in allowing the hunt. So that's what the the state's primary concern is. District Court Judge Sharon L. Gleason denied a preliminary injunction that would have prevented special hunts in the future. In a 46-page order issued on Wednesday, she wrote that federal officials had taken both conservation and public safety concerns into account when it reached its decision. She also noted that when federal officials reached out to state wildlife managers, they didn't respond. It's not the end of the case. The lawsuit will continue to move forward with both sides filing arguments before a final ruling. But the upshot is that federal officials aren't blocked from authorizing out-of-season hunts in special circumstances. Tribal leaders in Cake don't see that likely in the near future. You know, we just got done with our moose season and our deer season, so I think we're good for now. That's Cake's tribal president, Joel Jackson. He notes the village's groceries are mainly shipped on the occasional state ferry or barge. You know, if anything happens to those cranes down there where they load all the stuff coming to Alaska, we'd be in a world of hurt. He says Alaska natives never voluntarily ceded their hunting and fishing rights on their traditional homeland. Of course, if we were in a real bad situation, I wouldn't hesitate to just say, you know, get a hunting party together, go out and get the, what we need. You know, so, but I want to stay within the, the, uh, in the law, and if we could do that, that'd be great. The Native American Rights Fund has joined the lawsuit on behalf of Cake's tribe and the federal government. In a Friday statement, a staff attorney wrote, Alaska Native communities are facing hardships caused by COVID-19 and encourage the state to treat tribes as partners, not adversaries. It's unclear if any future special hunts are being considered. Federal wildlife officials declined to comment, citing the state's litigation. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Jacob Resnick. Next summer's cruise season could look very different in southeast Alaska if ships do return next year. KRBD's Eric Stone reports. In order to get a handle on what to expect for next year's cruise season, Ketchikan City officials hired some out-of-town expertise. So the, the, the discussion this evening and the, and the subject, obviously, is how, to, how can the city of Ketchikan position itself for the upcoming restart of the cruise season? That's Miami-based consultant Luis Ahmil addressing the council on November 19th. He told Ketchikan's local leaders that all of the large cruise lines that serve Alaska are, for now, planning to be sailing again by the time the season rolls around in April. Ahmil said most port communities are waiting for the cruise giants to lay out their plans, but... This is not an issue that just the cruise lines by themselves can do. 
And more importantly, uh, it is of such vital importance to the community that you all need to take that leadership position. Which is to say it's better to make your own rules instead of waiting for cruise lines to bring theirs. Though cruise lines aren't back at it yet, they're expected to implement safety protocols that do their best to encase visitors in a bubble. Ahimil says they'll likely use things like COVID-19 tests, health screenings, and temperature checks in an attempt to keep the coronavirus from coming aboard. Ahamil says cruise lines have put a lot of energy into making sure passengers are being screened from bringing the illness on board. Then they'll need to ensure the virus isn't contracted while on shore. What it turns out to be that this is probably the most complex part of the journey. And we know that because that's when a passenger is going to get off and on and has to interact with the community. And that, of course, presents a problem. Industry groups have proposed restricting passengers to cruise line-sponsored excursions at the outset to give them a little more control over health protocols. But independent tour operators that can't afford to sell their excursions aboard worry that they'll be left out. That's more or less what's happened in Europe, Ahamil said. Visitors get on a bus, take an excursion, and return to their ship. In that case, the bus functions as an extension of a hermetically sealed cruise ship bubble. This gives you a glimpse that if you as a community don't create your system, that's what will happen. Because that is the natural, uh, that's where it will, you know, gravity will take the cruise lines to do, to do that. Ahamil framed geographic bubbles as an alternative. Basically, you take a map, you draw a line, and you seal off a section of town from the rest of the community. To get in or out, workers would need to go through the same precautions as cruise ship passengers, testing, temperature checks, and so on. You don't have any buses there. People can't come in and out of it, uh, but you invite your businesses to come and set up shop there. It could be as small as the port itself, but given the small footprint of the city's cruise ship docks, that would still leave many businesses on the outside looking in. And the same precautions that would insulate passengers from the virus would also act as a barrier preventing visitors from contributing to the local economy on the outside of the bubble. So Ahamil says Ketchikan could, in theory, expand that bubble to include most of downtown's waterfront commercial areas, including the landmark Creek Street. Uh, it can be done um, that you have bubbles within this area, and obviously the traffic can go through. It just can't interact with the passengers. Uh, but as you expand this bubble, more and more and more people will be able to enjoy the economic benefits. Ahamil also pitched the idea of a citywide bubble, where everyone who sets foot on the island has to be tested, screened, and such. But Ahamil said that's likely not a viable option for Ketchikan, though he suggested it might work for smaller communities. He pointed specifically to Skagway. Ahmil said there's a lot that's still unknown. It's not clear whether cruise lines would be amenable to any of the bubble proposals he laid out. There's no real example of anything like this anywhere in the world, Ahamil said. 